you would turn to Luke chapter 16, familiar chapter. I want to read there in just a few minutes, but while you're turning in your Bibles to Luke 16, let me mention some more names. I fell to on the prayer list. I didn't have these circled. I want to call your attention. Miss Jean Ricketts. Miss Ricketts uh, is having some back problems, and so I uh, spoke with her by phone this week, so remember Miss Ricketts in prayer. Bobby Guthrie will be having uh, he'll be having a doctor's appointment on the twelfth in regards to uh, perhaps surgery on his uh, back or hip, whatever his problem may be. So remember Bobby's doctor visit. Then also remember uh, uh, Katie Taylor, Kyle's wife, Katie, our daughter-in-law. She's not feeling well. She's been sick all week, and so she's not here today. And and we've had, I appreciate our sound guys, gals and guys, but uh, back in the sound booth, Brother Steve's back there, and Joel, and I believe maybe Andrew may be back there today, but uh, Katie's usually in the sound booth, um, Ty's back in the sound booth, uh, we've got, I think, about three, or Terry Bell is not here today, normally she's back there working the, the, the slides, Joel's filling in for her, and so if anything happens, we'll just blame Terry for it since she's not here. Is that all right? But just uh, there's four or five people. There's a half a dozen back there oftentimes, and so keeping things going. So I appreciate the work they do. Luke chapter 16, we want to look at verse 19. Familiar passage. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, I probably read that at a lower volume than the rich man spoke it. Notice he cried. He cried. He, he actually, at a high-pitched voice, he yelled. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great guff fixed, so that they which would pass from here to hence to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us that would come from where you are, from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, Father, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. In 
Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If you took this passage of Scripture and and narrow it down to what the essence of the text in a simple sentence, it would be hell is a place where the lost cry out too late. And the essence of this sermon in just a simple sentence, that don't mean that we're going to have a closing prayer and go home, but the essence in just a simple sentence is today is the day to call out to God for mercy and for salvation. You know, hell is real. Jesus taught more about hell than he taught about heaven. Jesus saw hell to be so real that he was willing to come and die on the cross. And for those who would receive him and accept him, believe in him to be the supreme sacrifice for sin, trust him to be their savior, then he would forgive their sins and give to them the free gift of eternal life. And he knew that hell was so real that he was willing to do that for mankind. Hell is real. Now, there are a lot of people who believe in heaven, but not that many believe in hell. U.S. News and World Report did a survey some time back, and they found that 68% believe in heaven, those they interviewed, and 60% believe in hell. 91% of evangelicals, evangelistic Christians, 91% believe in heaven, but 80% of evangelicals don't believe in hell. 87% of church members believe in heaven, but 67% of those that belong to the church don't believe in hell. 46% of those that have no religion at all believe in heaven, but 36% of those Believe in hell. And when asked about the chance of going there, the evangelicals say 88% say they'll go to heaven and only 3% say they'll go to hell. Those that have no religion at all, 61% of them say they're going to heaven. And 9% of them say they're going to hell. So we live in a society today that believe that there is a heaven, but they do not believe that there is a hell. This past week, Brother Mike and I and some others had an opportunity to receive a call from one of our friends in Nicaragua and uh, in regards to our upcoming mission trip. Brother Melvin was interpreting on the phone 
and um, talking to the person on the other end, and we were just in the office listening. But that phone call was coming all the way from Nicaragua on that little cell phone. I've received calls before, perhaps from about every state in the United States. I've received calls from, from uh, Nicaragua. I've received personal calls from Romania. I've received calls from Guam. But Luke chapter 16 tells that Father Abraham received a call, a cry, from the very pit of hell. Now, there are two things that I'd like for the Holy Spirit to do today. First of all, if you've not responded to the tender love and mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today that you would see the terrible consequence of rejecting Christ, and I pray that you would be saved today. Then as for us as Christians, my prayer is that God would speak to our hearts, but not only speak to our hearts, but break our hearts as Christians to visualize our loved ones, our children, our parents, our mamas and papas and aunts and uncles and cousins and our neighbors and our friends and our classmates of dying and going to a place called hell. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to just focus upon a, a subject that oftentimes we'd rather, rather avoid. Help us to sense the reality of hell and the reality of heaven. And so I pray for each person here today. I pray for the non-Christian that they would come to know Christ to escape this place called hell. And I pray for us as Christians that you would convict us of the need of sharing the gospel to those who have not heard and then those who have heard but yet have not responded. And pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would draw them to you where they could pray and ask Christ to save them, where they would be able to have that home in heaven. And Lord, I just want to pray for Kyle today there at Rockwood. I lift him up to you in prayer as he challenges the church there through your word this morning. Thank you for what you're going to do in our time of invitation, for I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Three little things I've jotted down I want to share with you. The first is, there was a certain rich man. Look at verse 19 in, verse six, in chapter 16. He says, and there was a certain rich man. A certain rich man. Now, I thought it was kind of unique that the rich man was not named. We don't have his name. Jesus could not call his name, some believe, simply because his name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 3, 5 says, He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Revelation 2, 27 says, There shall no wise enter into heaven anything that defileth, or worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, as Christians, we celebrate a lot. 
things that we enjoy as Christians. We enjoy this thing called prayer that we can communicate with God at any time. Just think how many people are in the world. Think how many Christians are in the world and they're, they're talking to God throughout the day, but yet God gives them His undivided attention and, and He can hear them all and He knows what they need and He answers their prayers. Think of what a privilege that is to be able to do that as a Christian. We have that benefit. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit that lives in our heart, that brings about the fruit that we need to give testimony of Christ in us, working through in our lives and throughout our lives and guiding us and directing us. So we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift Himself, and not only that, but the gifts of the Spirit in order to carry on the work that God has for us to do individually, that the church can be edified and built up and strengthened. We have the Bible, God's holy word. We have forgiveness of sin, knowing that God will forgive us and to cleanse us and to and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one day we're going to this place called heaven. And, and that's so exciting when you begin to read about heaven in the Bible. And it goes on and on and on. All the benefits of the Christian. However, Jesus says in Luke 10, 20, you need to rejoice. Not because of all of those things, but rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So the question this morning for you is this. Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you come to Christ by God's way, the only way? Have you come to God by God's way? That's through Jesus Christ, the only way. Jesus said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. He's the road to God. And if you're on any other road trying to get to God, you're going to die and miss God altogether. You're going to die and miss heaven altogether. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Before you leave here today, please make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He was unnamed. But notice also he was a rich man. We can tell that by the way that he was, he was dressed. The Bible says he had the nicest clothes as symbolic of the world. We're concerned about our dress at, from time to time and what we have and what we wear and, and the brand of this and the brand of that and the style of this, if it's in style or if it's out of style and if the colors are the right, uh, you know, this time of the year and, and all of this stuff. He, he, had, he was dressed nice, purple. He, he was dressed in purple. Purple was the rarest dye of the day. He was dressed in purple and fine linen, which is a dazzling white. You can imagine this rich man and what he had on. Symbolic of worldly possessions. There was, there was nothing that he didn't have on earth. There was nothing that he needed that he could not buy. He had everything that he needed. He had everything that he wanted. And he thought he had everything that he needed, but what he needed the most, money could not buy, and that was salvation. Came by it. Can't buy it, because salvation's a gift. 
For the gift of God is eternal life. Now you may take pride in what you have. You may take pride in your home. You may take pride in your automobile. You've worked hard and you, you have acquired this and you're able to, to take this and say, this is my house, my car. You know, it's not very much. Some people say, but this, at least it belongs to me. No, it doesn't belong to you. You'll find that out one day. You'll pass it off to someone else. But you may take pride in what you have, your clothes, your money, your friends, your prestige, and may take pride in all of that. But Jesus says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give for your soul? A million dollars? You sell out for a million? No, no, no. Two million, ten million, a billion. Sell your soul for ten billion. A song we sing from time to time, and it goes something like this. It, it says, I'd, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. Than to be a king of a vast domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be a king of a vast domain. Or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus more than anything that this world affords today. He was unnamed and he was rich. But notice, when he died, look if you will, when he died, <clears throat> verse 22, it came to pass the beggar died was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. Just died and buried. Suddenly, you know, before he died, he, perhaps he, Bible doesn't say, but just uh, sanctified speculation says he got sick. May have gotten sick. Then all of a sudden, all of these, this fine linen began to just kind of hang from his limbs. Didn't have a good color about him. Began to lose weight. And then you had the physicians to come in. And then you had the sick bed. And then you had the bated breath. And then you had this thing called the death rattles. And then you have more physicians to come in. And then you hear the words, he's dead. So he closes his eyes here. But he opens his eyes in hell. The rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Closed his eyes here, lifted his eyes in hell. Now, some believe in this thing called annihilation, where you just cease being to exist. They'd like to have it that way, but that's... Contrary to God's word, you don't get your like-tos. 
And then there's this thing called soul sleep. People think you just go to sleep when you die. Well, they said, well, what about Lazarus? They said, well, he's sleeping. And Jesus, if you'll read a little further, Jesus said, no, he's dead. He's dead. You don't go to sleep when you die, you, you're dead. So there's no soul sleep. And then people think there's a place out there somewhere, and they refer to it in some groups as purgatory. You just hang around there for a while. That's contrary to God's Word. Luke 16, there's no purgatory. You see, you can't prevent death. You might extend life for a little. You may have a ventilator, or you may have a feeding tube, and you may be raised up for a few weeks or a few months, or you may be raised up for a few years. You might be able to prevent death, but you'll never be able to rid death. You can postpone it, but you cannot rid it. I can remember first person that I saw die in a hospital. And I wanted to do something so bad. And there was nothing I could do. And you could just sense the spirit leaving the body. You that are in medical field know what I mean. The Bible says that, that you cannot prevent death. You cannot prevent that war. But according to Jesus, there's no annihilation, there's no sleep, there's no holding place. This person went immediately to hell. And Lazarus went immediately to heaven. He was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, and in hell he opened up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes. Can you imagine what he saw when he lifted up his eyes and looked into heaven, and he saw Lazarus with Abraham, and he saw, you know, he saw pearly gates that he never would be able to go in. He saw a street of gold that he never would be able to walk down. He saw friends, perhaps family members at a distance that he would never be able to communicate with and walk with and talk to. He saw all of those things. He saw the tree of life, but he never would be able to sit by it. He saw sights that he'd never seen before. The only thing he could do was to lift up his eyes and wonder how in the world could I have been so foolish in my life. Talked to a guy yesterday about his salvation, about his life. He said, I've just been stupid. Let me tell you something, don't die stupid. Wise up. Accept Jesus Christ, because that time's coming. The only thing he could do was just to lift up his eyes and wonder to himself, perhaps included in his cry, how stupid, how stupid, how stupid. Notice first, it was a cry for mercy there in verse 24. He said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Mercy is to fill with sympathy the misery of another person. Have mercy on me. 
It's the same word used by the blind man in Matthew 9 when Jesus walked by. He said, Son of man, have mercy on me. In other words, can't you do something for me? Mercy. It's the same word used in Matthew 17, 15 of a man whose son was demon-possessed. He said, Lord, have mercy on my son. In other words, Lord, please do something for my son. It means to feel with sympathy the misery of another person. And he was suffering so much. He says, for I, I am tormented in these flames. Tormented. Years ago, I looked up that word, years and years ago. And torment, tormented, and torment meant, or means, a death struggle. It's a death struggle. And I got, I got the best illustration on the way back from Vina during a revival. And I ran over, I thought it was a recap. But I went on down the road a piece, and I said, I wonder if that's a snake. So I turned and went back, and it's a snake. Vina, big snake, big as recaps in Vina. And I pulled up, and that snake was wiggling. Is in torment. You see, to be in torment is a death struggle. You want to die, but you can't die, and you want to live, but you can't live. That's torment. He said, I'm tormented in these flames yes they're literal literal flames real flames and his tongue was burning from the flames of hell oh send Lazarus he cried send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue he cried, all I need, in essence, is some friend, someone to care, someone to speak, someone to come and comfort me because I'm tormented in these flames. But you see, there's no mercy in hell. You have mercy here. But there's no mercy in hell. The time for mercy and grace and forgiveness and comfort is here. The time of compassion is now. It's kind of like Noah on the big boat. All of a sudden, God shut the door. And Noah preached for years. Some say 120 years. But he preached for years and he was begging a world to repent and come to God. And they would laugh because he was building a boat and it never had rained before. He was building it just simply because he had faith in God who told him to build it. And no one would come to the boat. But then when the rain came, the door was shut. and There's no mercy and there's no comfort. And people, no doubt, were clawing to get in that ark. But mercy and grace and comfort were gone. Too late. Here's the point. Today, while mercy is available, would you be willing to ask God to forgive you and to come into your life and save you 
forgive your sins and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and cry out now to Jesus instead of waiting till you die and go to hell and cry out for mercy there. He cried for mercy, but notice he cried for his family, verse 27. All of a sudden, he was concerned for his family. There are going to be some parents today that will have lost children to die without Christ, and they're going to be weeping and crying for their children, but it's too late then. Or there's going to be children going to be weeping and crying for a lost parent. This person had compassion on his family. He wanted somebody to go. He wanted the old preacher, no doubt, to go and knock on the door. It don't matter what time. Just go tell them about this place where they won't come here. Don't worry about the time. Wake them up. Suddenly the one who had no compassion on Lazarus cried out for his family to be warned. Verse 29 and 30. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from them unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. A lot of preaching in that verse. And after that, verse 31, hell becomes silent. And we don't ever hear anything from the rich man anymore. But you know, I'm sure he's still in torment. I'm sure he's still in hell. I'm sure he's still suffering. I'm sure he's still remembering. I'm sure he's still regretting. I'm sure he's still crying out. I'm sure he's still begging today. Bow our heads for prayer. Well, Father, thank you for the warning that we've read in your word. And this morning I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of all people here this morning. I pray that people who have never trusted you to be the Lord and Savior of their life, today they would trust you to save them, that they would cry out to you to ask you to forgive them and to come into their life and save them. I pray, Lord, today that they would trust you and only you for their salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would let them realize today that mercy can be found now, but it will never be found in hell. And, Father, I pray for us as Christians, forgive me, for not sounding the warning of this terrible place called hell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.